Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar Johnson. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on the Portland Trailblazers. I'm here with Russell Smith. And Russell, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you. All right. Let's get started by taking a quick look at the Blazers offseason. And their two biggest acquisitions, certainly in terms of money, were Alan Crabb and Evan Turner. Now, Alan Crabb received an interesting restricted free agent offer from the Brooklyn Nets. They offered him four years at a little over $18 million a year. Do you think the Blazers should have matched that contract Crab? I actually liked it because the way I saw it going with Crab's place in the rotation was I saw him fitting in nicely as a sixth man off the bench who could provide the three-point scoring, and he showed excellent flashes of that the previous season when the Blazers went 44-38, and 38, and I thought that he continued to grow on his development, and I thought he was progressing very nicely. It's just unfortunate, you know, the way the salary cap grew that we had to match that large contract, but what can we do about it? At least we were able to keep it. Yeah, and Crab is still young. This is his age 24 season, and Brooklyn signed him to attempt to acquire a young player. They're sort of devoid in that department. But I think the interesting thing about the Crab contract for me was that it actually came after the Evan Turner signing. Now, you mentioned Crab as a potentially valuable sixth man. I had sort of thought that that was the role the Blazers had intended for Evan Turner. So what are your thoughts on matching Crab after that Evan Turner signing? Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen before they signed Evan Turner. And then after they signed Evan Turner, I was really confused because I thought, are, is he going to start over Aminu? Um, like, is, is he going to beat the sixth man now? Maybe if this is what I... I was kind of like 50-50 in between how I felt about the Evan Turner signing because I felt like he would fit in very nicely as a backup point guard and someone else who could handle the ball when Lillard and McCollum were on the bench because what Terry Stotts had done in the previous season was he had Lillard play till, like, it, it depended for most games, but what he would usually do is play Lillard for, like, 10 minutes of the quarter and then take him out and then leave McCollum in the game and then CJ uh CJ McCollum start the second quarter and play uh for like the first two or three minutes then rest him and then play and put Dame back in and then there never really was a true backup point guard on the team that Stotts could place trust in and he had to do this um switching around kind of thing uh, with how he rested the, the his two main ball handlers, uh, Dame and CJ. And I thought Evan Turner would be able to fit in nicely so that they could both get rest. But it hasn't really worked out that way so far, but I'm st- I still believe that Turner can sort of figure things out. They're, it's, they're only 24 games into the season. They're 12 and 12, and most of that has come primarily from defensive struggles, not offensively. The other big acquisition they had this offseason was Festus Azili. They got him for a cheap two-year, $16 million contract, but it's starting to seem like there's a reason they were able to get him for that cheap, as once again, he's out with a knee injury. He has yet to play this season. Do you think Festus 
will be a good fit for this team once he gets back into the rotation, or do you think he's just going to be sidelined for injury reasons for much of the foreseeable future? Hopefully he'll be back in a few more weeks. As he continues to progress from recovering from knee surgery, I've taken note of the fact that he is with the team uh, participating in rehab, though, so that's always a good sign. But the way I see it... He is going to be getting a lot of minutes, and depending on how well he plays with the playing time that's given to him at first, he might eventually overtake Mason Plumley as the starting center because he gives, based on his per uh, 36 minute stats, he gives the Blazers excellent uh, interior paint defense when he is healthy and playing to the best of his ability. So I did want to get into the big man rotation, so that's a very nice transition to the fit of Mason Plumley. Now, you mentioned the idea that maybe he should head to the bench when Festus Azili returns. Mason has been pretty decent on the offensive end, but he's been a large part of why the Blazers are currently 30th in the league in defensive rating. Do you think that being solid on the defensive end is something that Mason could work on, or do you think just his limitations on that end in terms of his small wingspan is going to make him a liability on that end for the foreseeable future? Well, he of course he still has time to grow. He's only 26, but he doesn't have... It's not like he's stuck in the same uh, skill level that he has right now. I just don't see him personally uh, becoming much better than he already is. I see him fitting in much better uh, with the second unit, especially because of his passing ability as a center. He averages uh, almost, this season so far, he's averaging almost five assists per game, which is just tremendous for a center. And he's really establishing himself as an excellent uh, playmaking center. But uh, in terms of what the first unit is really lacking, what the starting lineup is really lacking, uh, because of the perimeter deficiencies um, guarding players out there, the interior defense needs to step up, and Plumlee is just not capable of doing that, especially when uh, you have guards and forwards driving into the paint and scoring layups. And it is one of the problems... Uh, the Blazers have had all season so far. You talked about his passing and how that would make him a great fit for the second unit, and I think that's particularly important for the Blazers, given the struggles that Evan Turner has had so far. And Plumlee is, is a valuable player, but I think the biggest issue with him, as you pointed out, is that he just his skills do not mesh particularly well with what the Blazers' starting lineup needs out of him. Yeah, exactly. So one of my favorite Blazers for a while has been Ed Davis, who for most of his career up until this season has been one of the most fun energy bigs in the league, great offensive rebounder, doesn't take shots he can't make, really efficient on that end. But so far this year, he's shooting under 50%. He's been fouling at a career-high rate despite not getting career-high minutes. What has he been up to this season? Why is he not playing up to his usual standards? Mostly foul trouble. He's been averaging, for the most part, for so far this season, uh, nearly four fouls a game, borderline five fouls, depending on how you want to round that statistic up. Uh, and he's just hasn't been 
um, meshing well. And that's kind of been a problem with the Blazers rosters in general, you know, Sands, Lillard, and McCullum, and uh, Maurice Harkless, who we're going to talk about later. Basically, they've just regressed from how they grew last season. Most people viewed the whole roster in general as being able to take the next step and becoming a top four team in the Western Conference, and that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, they're people are forgetting that they're just as young of a team as, like, the Timberwolves, for example. And it's just growing pains. Uh, we just need to see, you know, it's only December. I mean, yeah, the season is ending in just a few more months, but uh, they still have time to uh, get back to their uh, previous season form. Yeah, Davis is currently at a career-high defensive rating of 111, and granted, that statistic is skewed by the fact that he's playing with a Blazer defense that has not been particularly brilliant so far this season. And one of the biggest reasons for that, I think, is that they've had an extended absence from Alpha Rukaminu, who's been probably their best defensive player so far. He's been in and out of the lineup. He's currently listed as out for tomorrow's game against the Pacers with a back injury. Now, Aminu is one of those guys who's usually had a solid impact from everywhere on the floor, but even when he has been playing this season, he's looked like he's been playing hurt. He's shooting 26.6% from the field, and he's been rebounding well, but that shooting number, I mean, it's obviously awful for anyone, but it doesn't seem to be in line with what we've usually seen. What are your thoughts on how he's played so far this season? Well, he's been hurt, like you said. Um, he just has not yet been able to get into a rhythm. Like last season, um, when he, he, uh, I thought he had a great year considering the fact that I kind of thought that his time with the Blazers, he, it was kind of a, a reclamation project. Neil Olshay signed him because he had originally drafted him back when, uh, he was in charge of the Clippers front office. And it made sense at the time, of course, because they needed a replacement for Batum, and I thought that he fit the bill defensively. Offensively, I wasn't sure where that was going to lead because he, for his career, he's a, basically a 30% three-point shooter. Um, it barely averages double-digit points per game, and he was just kind of a wild card on that end, but I thought he had brilliant flashes last season, um, and then he was averaging 10.6 rebounds a game last season, and I thought he'd be able to keep growing on that, but he just hasn't been able to get into a rhythm yet because of his, primarily because of his injuries also, and then also inconsistent playing time, which he has been losing to Maurice Harkless. Like, he is averaging four less minutes per game this season compared to last season. I think part of that, though, is that he's more of a small four than a three, and, you know, losing minutes to Harkless in terms of general forward minutes kind of fits, but I think for the most part, Aminu is going to be playing four for this team long term. Oh yeah, defensively he can. And then there's also, like last season, for example, he shot a career best 36% from three, so hopefully he can uh, keep growing as a uh, stretch four threat while also being able to play that position excellently defensively. So the Blazers have one other regular rotation big man that we haven't covered yet, and that is Myers Leonard who, after a 50-40-90-ish season in 2014-2015, and I say ish only because he didn't really meet the requirements in terms of attempts, his percentages from both the field and from three declined last season and have dipped yet again this year. He's currently at 
from the field and a little under 33% from three. And he doesn't really provide much on the glass. He's averaging 0.3 blocks a game in a little under 16 minutes, despite being listed as the tallest player on the Blazers roster at 7-1. Do you think it's been an issue of fit with Myers, or do you think he's just having a slump to start the season? Well, last season he averaged career highs and points and minutes per game. He averaged about 22 minutes per game last season and averaged 8 points per game. But at the same time, he also averaged career lows in field goal percentage and three-point percentage, as well as even free-throw percentage, although barely, but field goal percentage and three-point percentage were an issue. And personally, I did not agree with the Blazers re-signing him to that deal. I felt like they should have let him go because, me personally, I feel like he's basically uh, Mason Plumlee 0.5, and then the only benefit from Myers is that he can shoot three-pointers at a decent clip. He's a career 38% three-point shooter. But the point being that he he's just uh, superfluous to the Blazers roster in general. He doesn't bring much added anything, and Terry Stotts doesn't play him much to begin with, and I just don't see him as an excellent fit with this roster. You brought up Mo Harkless a little bit earlier, and I'd love to use him to transition into talking about the wings and the guards on this team. Mo Harkless is having an incredible season, I think. He's averaging career high in minutes. He's shooting 37% from three, which is his career high by a lot. He's also getting career high numbers on the boards, and he started every game for Portland this year. Do you think that Alfred Aminu returning to health is going to limit his minutes? We talked a little bit earlier about the 3-4 setup with Harkless and Aminu, but how do you think Harkless can, I guess, build on his strong play to start the season for him? I think Harkless has been playing great. To be fair, he's only... uh. 23 years old and unfortunately you know you have to assume that this could happen there is a chance that he could regress from his current performance but he's having an amazing season so far averaging career highs minutes points rebounds three-point percentage in particular which has always been a glaring weakness in his game and he's also emerged as one of the blazers best perimeter defenders at the same time because of his uh, seven foot long wingspan and he's fit in very nicely at the uh, three spot. And I liked him from the beginning when he was acquired from Orlando uh, a season ago. But, you know, of course, the glaring issue with him a lot of last season and some of this season, but not as much as last season, was that he would be wide open for three and then he'd brick it. And then you realize that's why the players leave him open on the perimeters because he couldn't train them because his uh, shot was just unreliable and just spotty. But then uh, during the off season, he really worked to uh, improve on his jump shot and the results are showing this season. And even with Aminu returning, it shouldn't affect Harkless at all. And it's safe to say that he should be the starting small forward for the Blazers here on out unless uh, he regresses otherwise. So let's talk just briefly about Evan Turner, who we touched on earlier. After a very, very slow start to the year, he's now back up to 42% from the field, which isn't great, but it's respectable. And the thing about Evan Turner, I think, is that the only other player on this team who could capably cover at backup point guard is Shabazz Napier, who has played six minutes a game in the 13 games that he's played and is not... I think, a solution at backup point guard. 
Now, in terms of Turner's play, do you think he's best served trying to be the backup point guard for this team, even if he might struggle guarding point guards on the other end? Yeah, I think so. You know, he has yet to show it to the best of his abilities, but he showed it when he was in Boston. And he even admitted it himself earlier when in the season when interviewed by reporters that he's uh, still been trying to adjust to not being with his uh, old teammates and just trying to get accustomed to uh, the feel with this Blazers team, which is a lot more up-tempo and shoots more threes and does a lot of things different from what the Celtics did. And I think he just needs a little more time. You know, he's already uh, finally starting to come on here a little bit. He's averaged nearly 11 points per game and five assists in his last five games. And he just needs more time to adjust personally. He's a new signing and he's also... Of course, trying to uh, deal with the pressure that comes with having such a big contract slapped onto him because of the salary cap, and then you have angry Blazers fans demanding that he gets traded immediately because he's not fitting well. And that's not the case. He just needs more time to adjust, and he should fit fine as a backup point guard and even get some spot minutes with the first team. Let's just look at the Blazers' play so far this season. At the time of this podcast, they are 12-12. and They are the eighth seed in the Western Conference. They are scoring the fifth most points per game in the league and allowing the they are the third worst team in terms of points per game allowed. Their defensive rating is dead last at 112. Their offensive rating is 109.7, which puts them in seventh. So I guess the story of the Blazers season so far has been all offense, no defense. I guess I'm not surprised that they're struggling on the defensive end, but I'm kind of surprised that they are dead last. All offense, uh, no defense. I was expecting that to be the motto of the Houston Rockets, but unfortunately they're playing better than us, so that's a problem. To be fair, that's kind of also the motto of the Houston Rockets, <laughs> just to a slightly lesser degree on the defensive yeah. end. Well, it, it travels with D'Antoni wherever he goes, usually. But I feel like the Blazers, I've, I've heard rumors around of putting pieces together for um, like DeMarcus Cousins, but I don't believe that would be the answer. It's not like the Blazers don't have the pieces to make a trade happen. I'm just not sure who it would be. Uh, today, rumors were coming up about Andrew Bogut being a target for the Blazers via Mark Stein from ESPN. But personally, I wouldn't like it simply because of Bogut's uh, health history. However, I mean, for a short-time rental, I'd be okay with it. It depends on what we give up for him. But uh, Mavericks, they're not having the greatest of seasons. In fact, I think they're having the worst they've had in a long, long time. And they're probably going to end up with a top draft pick. And if they do sell off Bogut, I wouldn't be surprised if they were, would be asking for a first-round pick. And that's something I don't believe would be worth giving up for him. So... It's not like there aren't pieces there for a trade to be made. It's just that there is a uh, log jam present, and it's hard to see where these pieces would fit. Is there even is a trade even necessary? Do the Blazers just need to, you know? Personally, I think that they are also a little complacent based on the success that they had last season. But there's no surprises anymore. The league knows what's up with the Portland Trailblazers, and they're going to play them differently now. You know, CJ is not a rising star. Well, he is a rising star, but he's not out of the blue anymore like he was when he dropped 37 points against the Pelicans on open night. The Blazers just need to stop being complacent, and they need to play better as a unit. 
And I know they can because little has changed personnel-wise. So Bogut is currently injured, which would make a trade a little bit more complicated. But I don't think Dallas would be looking for a first-rounder for him, given that he's on a one-year contract. And I think he really could help this Blazers team just because he is very good in the areas where the Blazers' big men have struggled. He's still a solid defensive player, especially when he's not forced to rotate out onto other players and can just sit back and defend the rim. He's also a solid rebounder, which I think could really help this Blazers team. And you were talking about a potential trade. I guess the potential trade that I would be thinking of at this point in the season would be one of Turner or Crab, and it's early because you just signed him. Well, you had Crab for a few seasons beforehand, but you just signed Turner to a big contract in the off season. But that's really where all the players on this Blazers roster are. They're all at those shooting guard, small forward positions. And they could use a defensive big man, especially if Azili continues to sit on the sidelines injured. Bogut intrigues me, personally. I just have to see first what uh, Dallas would want from the Blazers first in order to get him. And then there's also, of course, I believe I heard also the Celtics were potentially uh, interested in him as well. So it's uh, interesting to see where he ends up because I would find it hard to believe if he remains a Dallas Maverick for the rest of this season. They have no real reason to hang on to him, especially given that he's going to be a free agent in the offseason anyway. Now, I guess my biggest question about the Blazers, just looking at it right now, they're currently 8th in the Western Conference, but they were the 5th seed last year, and they made that surprising run to the second round, which granted hinged on unfortunate massive injury to the Los Angeles Clippers, but especially since this team was sort of thought of as a 25-ish win afterthought before last year, do you think they are a top five team in the West in accordance with how they were seeded last season? I don't consider them a top five team. I consider them a borderline top five team. Like I could see them at like top five or the sixth best team in the Western Conference or or so because it depends on how well players grow and develop individually. I just feel like with the current pieces that they have, it's just not enough to contend in the Western Conference or in the league in general as a top five team. I feel like that's asking uh, too much of them at this point, especially when all they did during the offseason was just re-sign a bunch of their uh, players, which is good, of course, because it helps maintain the current chemistry that they already have, but also because I feel like adding Evan Turner alone isn't going to make them a top-five team. That's not going to do it. Let's quickly go over your most recent articles for hashtag basketball. In your weekly recap for the last week of November, you talked about a trade, which we briefly went over before. Let's just talk about their best and worst games from the last couple of weeks. Now, I think they had an impressive win against the Pacers on November 30th. They won 131 to 109. And I think that game showed what you were talking about just a little bit earlier, the Blazers at their best. They weren't playing good defense. That's maybe something that they can't do, certainly something that they will struggle to do, but it didn't matter. They put up 130 on a team that a solid, young, 
center in Miles Turner, who's flashed some real potential on the defensive end, and the Blazers just blew him out of the building. Miles Turner has been nice for them, yes. I kind of had low expectations, though, to begin with, for that game. Well, low expectations in the fact that I kind of just assumed that the Blazers were going to win. Uh, <laughs> because uh, Paul George was out at the time, and then CJ Miles, he was uh, day-to-day with a bone bruise, I think. I don't remember exactly, but he ended up being out for that game also. So I feel like that game probably would have been a little bit closer if Paul George was starting instead of Glenn Robinson the third. But the Blazers did put on an impressive effort in the home game, which was kind of a statement win for the Blazers for the fact that they needed it because they were below 500 night four. They were 9 and 10 and uh, were coming off a loss to uh, the Rockets uh, at home in which they let James Harden get his seventh straight double-double and ended up losing by 15 or 16 points, despite the fact that they kept it close in the fourth quarter, and then they, it just all fell apart. So it was a badly needed win for the Blazers in terms of getting back to their uh, strengths and playing as well as they could. And of course, Lillard was excellent that night. He had 28 points and shot 60% from the field, and also an excellent effort from Maurice Harkless with 23 points and shooting 64% from the field. So Overall, the Blazers as a whole played very well that night. The interesting thing for me about that game was that C.J. McCollum did not play particularly well, and they still did as well as they did. He had 19 points, but it took him 18 shots to get there. And when C.J. is not as efficient as he normally is, and the Blazers still managed to put up 131 points, that's impressive, but we also need to talk about their lesser games, shall we say, and the one I wanted to focus on was their loss against the Cavaliers. The final score ended up being 137-125, which doesn't really sound as bad as the game actually was. They allowed Kevin Love to score 34 points in the first quarter. They ended up giving 46 points to the Cavs in the first quarter alone, and the game was over by halftime. Yeah, like Charles Barkley said in that uh, Foot Locker commercial, all the greats have short-term memory, so that probably helped in my case. As it was nice for getting that game. But yeah, uh, that wasn't great. But to be fair, there was no stopping Kevin Love. He was just on something else. Like There was just no way you could stop him. But to be fair, he did manage to uh, cool off and only ended up finishing with 40 points for that game. And the Blazers' uh, supporting cast was decent. That Lillard had 40 points, CJ had 13, and then uh, Mason Plumley had a nice game. He shot 90% from the field and had 19 points. But aside from Evan Turner scoring 17, uh, there wasn't really much help from the Blazers' bench at all. But overall, it was just a really high-scoring affair. Both teams shot over 50% from the field, but what really killed the Blazers was allowing Cleveland to shoot nearly 60% from the three-point line, and that's a no-no. You can't ever do that ever and expect to win a game, and it ended up being as high-scoring affair as it was, and Lillard did the best he could trying to keep the Blazers to win a heartbeat of 10 or 12 points, but the Blazers just ended up losing it in the fashion which I uh, kind of was expecting from the start, because like when you go into Cleveland to play the Cavs. It's like as if you're coming to uh, Oakland to play the Warriors. I mean, you have uh, you're either going to be like, well, we lost, at least we tried, or you're going to be like, wow, we actually beat them. 
that kind of thing when you're playing against a championship team. Let's zoom out a bit and talk about some of their better wins and losses on the season as a whole. Their opening night win against Utah was impressive to me, and I think stands out even more in hindsight, because Utah is currently allowing the fewest points per game, and the Blazers put up 113 against them on opening night. Yeah, Utah is a very excellent team defensively. It's just unfortunate they've been ravaged by injuries so far this season. Like, for example, right now, Gordon Hayward is out, Rodney Hood is out, Alec Burks is out, George Hill is out. Basically, they haven't had uh, most of their roster for the season. And Joe Johnson went Joe Jesus on us, and he dropped 29 points on us. But uh, in the end, the uh, Blazers managed to beat him out, despite a very strong effort by the Jazz, who opened uh, the season on the road. But it was an excellent win for the Blazers on opening night. So moving from that rather impressive victory into one of the more depressing games of the Blazers season so far, probably the most depressing game of the Blazers season so far. They came into Los Angeles on November 9th with a 5-4 and four record, and they proceeded to lose 111-80, to 80, and that doesn't even fully tell the tale of the damage because the Blazers outscored the Clippers 30-18 to 18 in the final quarter. So for reference, they scored 50 through the first three quarters and allowed 93. Yeah, it was just um, a really bad uh, showing from the uh, Blazers, especially on the offensive end. Lillard and McCollum had eight points apiece, and basically with no third option to score, you basically have a recipe for disaster. Blazers as a whole shot 35% from the field and 20% from three, and basically it, there wasn't really anything impressive about that, and considering the fact that Shabazz Napier was the only um, Blazer that uh, scored in double digits, and that was in garbage time. And Blake Griffin had a double-double with 22 points, 13 rebounds. DeAndre Jordan had 16 points. And Chris Paul, like he normally does to the Blazers for whatever reason, had an excellent game with 19.7 assists and one turnover. Lillard shot 1 for 10 in that game. And Mason Plumlee shot 1 for 12. I didn't even think there would ever be a Blazers game where Plumlee took more shots than Lillard. <laughs> I think that in and of itself is impressive. Also interesting that Noah Vonley started, got major minutes, led the Blazers in rebounds, and second on the Blazers in rebounds was Myers Leonard with 10. I'm sure he got almost all of those in garbage time. This Clippers team is good. I think that's statingly obvious, but they were particularly good to start the season, and the Blazers just had no answer for them, and more to the point, couldn't score, which, especially for a Portland team that is going to win games on the offensive end, they just cannot afford to put up 32 points and a half and 50 through the first three quarters. Yeah, this was a game against the Clippers team, which was really uh, playing at its best at the time. And it's uh, they haven't played as well as they could have lately. They've kind of gotten uh, complacent with their success, and they just have the same as of late. And Maurice Spates said it not too long ago that they need to get their uh, mojo back. 
And it's, it's funny because I keep referencing Charles Barkley in this podcast, but he said uh, last night on Inside the NBA, he brought up a point which I thought was really excellent. He said of the Clippers after their loss against the uh, Warriors at home that the Clippers, they don't need to beat the Warriors. They just need to put up a good dogfight against them. And they showed no signs of that. And of course, well, a win against the Warriors would have been nice. I felt like the Clippers could have put up a better fight than they did two nights ago because they just allowed too many open shots in the paint and the, the Clippers just not have, have just not been as well as they could have lately. But unfortunately, their uh, peak performance came at a time when they played the Trailblazers and that was the result. Anything else you want to go over before we wrap up? No, 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 I can think of all right, that about does it for us. You can follow Russell on Twitter at that guy Russell L T H A T G Y R U S S E L L L. It has an extra L at the end because some jerk took my usual spelling of my names. Unfortunately, I thought you just leaned on the keyboard a little bit too hard. Oh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, you can follow Russell there. You can follow me on Twitter at NBA underscore J-O-H-N-S-O-N. You can follow the hashtag basketball website on Twitter at hash basketball at H-A-S-H-B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. You can follow the hashtag basketball website on hashtag basketball.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast or any of the other podcasts we've had so far, please take the time to leave a rating or a review. Please also feel free to reach out to me on Twitter if you have any comments or any feedback. I would love to hear from all of you. Thanks so much for listening.